0: You are listening to Sunday on the Commons, a podcast featuring sermons from the United Congregational Church in Little Compton, Rhode Island. We are a community of Christians who have been gathering since 1704 to experience God's grace and love, discover new meaning in ancient scripture, hold each other in prayer, and strive to bring our faith to bear on the way we live each day. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.ucclittlecompton.org. And we invite you to join us each Sunday at 10 a.m. on the Commons in Little Compton for our dynamic and relevant worship for all ages. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are always welcome here. This Sunday, Reverend Rebecca returned to her sermon series about Mr. Rogers for All Saints Sunday. Let's listen to a reflection on what it means to be a saint in our Protestant tradition and how Fred Rogers was emblematic of this calling.:
1: The first reading today is from Hebrews 13:1 through3, seven through8 and 15 through16. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them, those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Through him, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips that confess his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such, such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Here ends the first reading.
2: second reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verse 13 to 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard of it, they followed him on foot. When he went ashore, he saw the great crowd, and he had compassion for them, and he healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down in the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and all ate and were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, and it was twelve baskets full, and those who ate were about five thousand men, women, and children." Here ends the reading. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your eyes. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In an article about Mr. Rogers for The Atlantic in November of 2015, faith writer Jonathan Merritt wrote, Fred Rogers was a Protestant. But if Protestants had saints, I think he'd already be canonized. I think he's right. We don't have saints in our reformed Protestant tradition, at least not formal ones who are set apart and venerated. We don't pray to saints to intervene in our behalves in the way that you do in the Roman Catholic tradition. And there are some good historical reasons for that. For those of you who don't know, I'll give you a very brief, promised brief history lesson. During the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, the reformers wanted to change a number of things about the church that they felt had pulled the faith away from its biblical roots. One of their concerns was that over the centuries, the church had made God increasingly inaccessible to the people in the pews. They wanted to reform the church to bring back a more biblical model in which Jesus brought us close to God and no other intermediaries were required. They wanted the Bible to be translated into people's languages. You have to remember that at that time it was in Latin, so nobody could read it or even understand it except the clergy who were especially trained to do that. So you couldn't just go home and read your Bible. If you were German, it wasn't in German. It was in Latin. The Reformers also wanted to remove the sort of spiritual hierarchy that had developed they wanted, they wanted to make the church a place where some, no one was higher up closer to God than anyone else. No one had greater access, right? So they want to get rid of bishops and cardinals and the pope and the saints, okay? So over time, in the church, the saints had come to be viewed as intermediaries. You could pray to them, and then they would intercede on your behalf. They would go to God, right? So there was an intermediary. You could ask them to kind of do a special thing for you on your behalf. And the Reformers, I believe rightly, wanted to call us back to a more biblical understanding of our relationship with God, which requires no intermediary but Christ. After all, Christ taught us to pray, saying... Our Father, right? What's more close and intimate and direct as that, okay? So the Reformers were interested in a kind of democratization of the faith. No one's prayers were more important or more effective due to their status, and no one's particular calling, even the clergy, gave them special access to God. And I'm on board with all of that. After all, in the Bible, the definition of a saint is just a believer. One of the community, okay? But, all that being said, sometimes I think we've gone a little far. In our Puritan anxiety to preserve a biblical faith and to remove any whiff of clericalism, I believe we may have thrown the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. I think it might be time... 500 years after Martin Luther nailed his theses to the door, to take a look at the role of saints and ask ourselves whether there is something that we may have lost and something that we might regain. In the early church, saints were actually martyrs. People killed by the empire because they refused to renounce their faith and claim Caesar as lord. These believers who sacrificed their lives for Christ came to be called saints because the stories of their lives and deaths spread among the early Christians, and they quickly became stories that helped sustain and inspire the faithful. Basically, they went viral, first century viral. At a time when Christians were persecuted and imprisoned and tortured and killed, these saints played a vital role. Their stories modeled courage and faithfulness even in the face of danger. Their example showed fellow Christians that it was indeed possible to resist the powerful political and cultural forces of their day and stand firm in living the way of Christ. There was no formal process at this time that someone became a saint. There was no canonization, no rigorous examination of their lives or proof of posthumous miracles. None of that existed. What was required was that they lived and died with extraordinary commitment to the core values of the faith, regardless of the cost, even if it was their own life. And then subsequently, their stories were told and retold so that their lives shone out as a beacon to all of us would-be followers of Christ, a light to help show us the way to remind us that, yes, it is possible to walk the walk, even in this challenging world. Now, our Protestant forebears were right that Jesus is the ultimate exemplar of our faith, the one we can look to always when we are wondering how to act and how to be. But Jesus lived a long time ago in a really different context than we do. And sometimes we need examples that are a little closer to home that show us what it looks like to be a faithful Christian in our own neighborhoods. Sometimes we need someone like St. Fred to remind us in the way that he lived and loved what faith and action looks like in our world. Though the Protestant tradition does allow us to honor the saints, the ones who have come before and we are encouraged to remember them and emulate their lives, their compassion, their sacrifice, their humility, their faith, I find that in practice we tend to avoid the subject entirely. And usually, in my experience, it's not for solid theological grounds, but most often because it's too Catholic. In the letter to the Hebrews, in our first reading, We hear some of the hallmarks of what it means to be a Christian. A saint who follows the faith. It begins with love. Let mutual love continue. This is the word for love in Greek that is used of familial love. The love of a family. The community. And then it extends out, right? It doesn't stay here. The love goes out to the community. Paul talks about welcoming strangers and foreigners with hospitality and kindness, having compassion for all who are suffering, people in prison, people being tortured. Now, the word compassion, I might have done this word lesson before, so forgive me, I'm a word nerd. Compassion literally means suffering with. Calm is with, and passion in Latin is suffering. So when Paul describes to remember the prisoners as if you were in prison. And to care for those who are being tortured as if you were being tortured. That's compassion. It's the sense of you are, you are suffering with. And when you feel that feeling, it's not just about, oh, I feel bad for them, right? If you really feel that, it propels you to action. It's sharing in someone's affliction, being able to imagine that enough to go out and help. To ease their suffering to change the systems that have brought them to that point. And in our gospel reading, it is compassion that moves Jesus to go to those crowds that followed him, to heal their sick and feed their hungry, even though at that moment Jesus just wants to be alone. What I didn't read, which is the passage right before that one, is that John the Baptist has just died. And if you remember, John the Baptist was a beloved friend of Jesus and his cousin. And he's just been beheaded by the king. Jesus is mourning. He goes off to be alone and to, like, have a moment, right, to, to process what's going on. And the crowds follow them. And it's the power of compassion that pulls him out of his own grief and into serving others. Loving them, healing them, caring for them. Now we have been looking at the life of Fred Rogers this fall. And as I review the qualities that we've been talking about, his special care for those who are vulnerable or marginalized, his humility, his kindness, his courage to speak out against violence and boldly work for the equality of people, even when it was politically very unpopular, there is much that makes him worthy of being held up as an example of Christian faith. But it occurs to me that all of these characteristics first require compassion as a foundation. It is compassion that leads us to work for others, to fight for others, to serve others, and love others, even when it costs us dearly. Fred Rogers let compassion guide his life, and he set aside whatever was going on in his life and took the time to go and be with people who were suffering, to help in whatever way he could. To ease their pain, to show love, not just on screen, but off. And this is not to say that Fred Rogers was perfect. He wasn't. Certainly not to say he was Jesus. He definitely wasn't. Or to say that he had special access to God. But it is to say that he was an extraordinary example of what living faith looks like. And it struck me as I was researching him throughout this sermon series. That Rogers' life moved my faith. It inspired me. It gave me hope. And this, I think, is why we need saints. So I'd like to share one of the stories with you. I didn't know it before reading many books on Mr. Rogers, which is what I've been doing in all my spare time. Beth was seven years old, and she had a very difficult and rare brain disorder. She had as many as 100 seizures a day throughout her childhood, and it just kept getting worse. There was only one thing that seemed to help her seizures. In an interview, she said this, The most amazing thing happened when I watched Mr. Rogers. Something about his voice allowed my body to relax, and I would not have a single seizure for the entire half hour that he was on TV. So Mr. Rogers became a staple of their day. Eventually, the doctor said that Beth was going to have to have surgery to remove the left side of her brain. So her family scheduled the surgery. And one day, Beth's mom was getting ready for work. And when she went down the stairs, Beth was talking to Mr. Rogers on the TV. She heard her. She said, I'm scared. I'm scared about my surgery. So her mom thought, Maybe she would feel good if she got an autographed photo from Mr. Rogers, because he seems to calm her and give her such strength. Maybe that would bolster her spirits before this really scary thing. So she wrote to Mr. Rogers. And a few days later, the phone rang. And Beth's mom said, Beth, there's someone on the phone who says he's your friend. It was Mr. Rogers. Beth told him, I'm afraid I'm going to die. And I'm afraid I'm going to leave my little brother. And he's my best friend. Mr. Rogers listened. In the interview, taken years later when Beth was grown, she said, he brought me back to life. I knew I was going to survive this operation because of what he was telling me. After the surgery, Beth went into a coma. Day after day and week after week, she was in this coma. Mr. Rogers would call the hospital and check up to see how she was doing, check in with her mom. Things stayed the same for so long that finally he asked if he could come see Beth. His one requirement was no press. There's just one grainy photograph taken by Beth's mom of the moment. He sat beside Beth's bed and opened the case And while she lay there in a coma, he did every puppet, all her favorites, every voice. It was weeks later that Beth finally woke up. Beth's mom remembers calling Mr. Rogers and saying she's awake, and she remembers him saying two words: "Praise God." At the end of this interview, at this at the time of the interview, Beth was about forty, and at the end of the interview. Beth's mom said, Mr. Rogers always said, Love is at the root of everything, all learning and all relationships, love, or the lack of it. He chose love. And then Beth chimed in, I think he's a saint among saints. My friends, we need people to show us the way, to help us. Remember how to live faithfully in this world. We need the stories of the faithful one who came, ones who come before us to inspire us, to remind us of what's really important, to give us hope and confidence that a faithful life really can change not just one life, but the world. And I think that it is the role of saint, this is the role of saints that we need to work on in our tradition to recapture. Let us look around us through history and in our own times and find those Christians whose lives shine as an example to us all. And let us tell and share their stories because these stories of the faithful saints give us the hope and the courage to, as Jesus would say, go and do likewise. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you could visit our website, www.ucclittlecompton.org. And if you'd like to show some appreciation for what you've heard today, we invite you to please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support our ministry by clicking the donate link in the show notes. The tradition in our church is to end every service with this simple prayer. God be with you till we meet again. By God's counsels, God uphold you. With his sheep securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. Go in peace.